The following audio is from Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Throughout the end of chapter 9, after the conversion of Saul, Peter is going around, he's giving the gospel, and people are getting healed. There's two occasions later in chapter 9 where it talks about him healing this lady named Dorcas, and he is in Joppa when that happens. And so he remains there in Joppa, staying at this man Simon's house, who is a tanner. Now, Joppa was a city on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. So it would have been very beautiful. It would have been a very beautiful city. And if you can imagine Peter probably some, taking some much-needed R&R from all this traveling that he's been doing, he's going to stay there with Simon for a little while because it's a nice place to stay. And it was, it was pretty much a city Joppa was full of Jewish people. A lot of people in that, in that seaside city, a thriving city, but thriving with a lot of Jewish people. And just a ways up north, another thriving city by the sea was Caesarea. And this city would have been mainly Gentile. So if you think about it, uh, there's, there's uh, I wish I would put up a map, but you have Joppa was down south, uh, which is west of Jerusalem, and then you have north of that Caesarea, and they're pretty, pretty much identical. They, they look over the sea, and they're seaside port cities, but one was mainly Gentile, which would have been Caesarea, and the other was mainly Jewish, which would have been Joppa. Now, here you have Peter, and you have Cornelius. You have two very different men in different circumstances and in different walks of life, right? As we read, Cornelius was a God-fearing man. He was very kind to the Jewish people. The passage says he did charitable, charitable deeds for the Jewish people, and he prayed to God, the Yahweh, the God of the Jews. And this would have been out of the norm because he's not a Jew. He's not Jewish. He's a centurion Roman of the Italian regiment. So maybe he was Italian, but we know he was Roman. And he wasn't Jewish, but he was, he was praying to the Jewish God. See, these Roman soldiers were there occupying Israel. We know that by this point. They're occupying Israel. And their job was to keep the peace uh, between the Israelites and to keep them from really rising up in rebellion. That's why they were there. Rome had put the soldiers there as a strong arm to deter the Israelites from rising up in rebellion. And this sometimes could turn very ugly because the Roman soldiers were there to keep the peace at any means necessary. Whatever they had to do to keep the peace, they were going to do it. Fast forward a little bit to 70 A.D., uh, this is after Jesus. This is pretty much after some of the books we see here in the Bible. Titus, who was a general then, goes in and sieges Jerusalem in this Roman Jewish war, and he lays and he lays waste to the to the temple. This is the second temple that was built, a Solomon's temple, and he lays waste to it. And there's all this uh, kind of uproar going on, and all this political tension between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And I want to read for you a historical account that would have happened just four years before AD 7, before the destruction of the temple, before Titus comes in. This is the atmosphere that we're seeing here. And I want to read, read to you a historical account. In AD 66, 
On the Sabbath day, a Gentile offered a pagan sacrifice next to the entrance of the synagogue. There was an outcry from the citizens of Caesarea. The authorities in Jerusalem decided to end all foreign sacrifices, including the one for Caesar himself in the temple. Florus, the governor who lived in Caesarea, came to Jerusalem with troops, entered the temple treasury, and took a large amount of gold. When people gathered to protest, Flores unleashed his legionnaires on innocent civilians of the city. Hundreds of women were raped, whipped, and crucified. More than 3,500 people were killed, including women and children. The reaction was outraged. Mobs swarmed the streets, driving the outnumbered soldiers out of the city. The people stormed the Antonia, the Roman fort, and burned the archives, destroying records of deaths. The revolt spread, and the zealots surprised the Roman garrison and occupied the, for, uh, the fortress of Masada. From this fortress, huge supplies of weapons were distributed. Uh, though there were voices urging calm, even the non-political Pharisees joined the zealot movement in droves, the violence mounted within the rebel movement. The Gentiles in Caesarea, remember this is where Cornelius is at, the Gentiles in Caesarea, hearing of the violence against the fellow Romans in Jerusalem, rose against the Jews of that town. Within a day, 20,000 Jews were killed. This slaughter of men, women, and children, young and old, was repeated in many places in the country and throughout the empire, including Syria and Egypt. 50,000 were killed in Alexandria alone. The land ran with blood. So you have Cornelius here. He is a commander of 100 Roman soldiers. That's what a centurion means. Now, we can't assume that all these Roman soldiers hated the Jewish people. We just we can't just assume that of all these Roman soldiers. Uh, we can't assume that they all were prejudiced in that way, but the majority of them were. And it was a commonly known thing that the Roman soldiers had little to no respect for the Jewish people. But to be fair, and to be completely honest, the Jewish people absolutely hated the Romans. They despised Gentiles and viewed them as being less than dogs. So, so you can imagine the atmosphere. You have these Romans who are there to be the strong arm. They don't want anything going on. But then you have these Gentiles who don't like that the Romans are there occupying them. And they, they build up this hatred for one another, right? This prejudice, it goes both ways. The Romans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Romans. And this is historical fact that this is what the atmosphere is at the time. So in other words, the conflict between the Jews and uh, the Gentiles was a serious thing. People were killing and, and fighting and risking their lives for the sake of their nationalism. Peter was Jewish. And when I say Peter was Jewish, I mean he was very proud to be a Jew. He was very proud of his nationalism. And then... Even the very way that he followed Christ and even the very way that he presented the gospel was a very Jewish way. This is who Peter was. And this is a climate of the culture that we find ourselves in in this portion of Acts. This is 20 years or so, 15, 20 years, before literally all hell breaks loose and things are going to get real bad. The streets are going to get bloody. There's this Roman-Jewish war that happens and things are about to get bad. Well, we have Peter, a Jewish, a devout Jewish person, and Cornelius, a Gentile, a Roman soldier, 
at two of their thriving cities of their kind in this story. Cornelius was in Caesarea commanding Roman soldiers, and Peter was not too far away spreading the gospel. Now, there's an interesting dynamic that's about to take place here in our text. It's a pivotal moment for not only the church, but for Peter and the rest of the Jewish believers. Let's look at verse 9 again. So this Cornelius sees an angel, and he's told to call for Peter, and then we read. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open, and an object that resembled a large sheep coming down, being lowered by its four corners of the earth. In it were all four-footed animals and reptiles on the earth, and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. Again, a second time, uh, again, a second time, the voice said, What God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. So, Peter is in Joppa, and he's probably staying with another Jewish believer, which is Simon the Tanner, and he gets this vision from Jesus. He gets in, goes into a trance, and he sees this legit vision. He's hungry. Remember, it says it's about noon, it's lunchtime. I don't know about you, but I can't miss a meal. So about lunchtime, my stomach starts rumbling, and I'm not a happy person to be around between 12 and 1 if I haven't eaten yet. And so here's Peter, and he's hungry, and so Jesus, to make a point and to illustrate something to Peter, he brings this sheep down with all these animals on it. And it has cows, and it has pigs, and it has camels, and it has rabbits, and all different types of animals. And, it, and he says, hey, Peter, since you're hungry, go ahead and kill one of these animals, whichever one you want, and eat it. You're hungry, kill and eat. But Peter says, no, Lord. Now stop right there for a second and just imagine for one moment Jesus sitting right next to you and saying, Don't Ryan, do this or this or that. I got a hundred bucks that says Don Ryan is not going to say no. <laughs> but here's Peter and he says, No, uh, no, sir. And Jesus is the one telling him to eat. What's really interesting about this is Jesus was the one who had established the law in the first place. It's like my kids. Uh, when they were younger, they weren't allowed to say certain words like uh, shut up, like stupid. Those were bad words. And, uh, <laughs> and so they would tattle on each other. And one time, it was actually funny, at church, my daughter runs up to my pastor and says, my dad said the S-H word. I told somebody to shut up. <laughs> and the pastor was there like, what? You know? And I said, no, no, I said, shut up. You know, it's a bad word in our house. Anyways, so, so they used to like to tell on each other. And I remember they would come up and say, or Gabby or somebody would say, Isaac said that word. And I would say, okay, well, what did he say? And she would say, nah, I'm not telling you. <laughs> and I would be like, well, how am I going to know the severity of what he said if you don't tell me what he said? And, and she was reluctant. Both of them actually were very reluctant. They didn't want to get me in even more trouble. And I would say, tell me what they, what they said. And he said, nope, I'm not doing that. Richard was a little different. He just didn't care. He would come up and tell, and I'd say, well, what did they say? They said stupid. They were calling me stupid. And he would say the word about as many times as he possibly could to get it in. <laughs> and, and so if you think about it, here's Peter. 
and Jesus comes and Jesus is telling him, hey, eat, you're hungry, go ahead and kill and eat. And Peter says, I do not think so. I've never eaten anything that's ritually unclean, not touching my lips. It's not happening. Well, you see, Peter was a Jew, as we've already explained, and he was a good Jew. And he knew that the law had been given on certain animals to not eat. Look at it. It's in Leviticus 11, 8 through 1. Peter knew his Bible. Leviticus 11, 8 through 1. Oh, 1 through 8. I'm sorry. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Tell the Israelites, you may eat all these kinds of land animals. You may eat any animal with divided hooves and that chews the cut. But among the ones that chew the cut or have divided hooves, are, you are not to eat of these. These are the animals you cannot have. Camels, though they chew the cut and do not have divided hooves. They are unclean for you. Uh, hyrixes, which I had to look that animal up. Uh, though they chew the cut, do not have hooves. They are unclean for you. Hares, though they chew the cut, do not have hooves. And they are unclean for you. Pigs, though they have divided hooves, do not chew from the cut. But they are unclean for you. Do not eat of their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. So basically what you have happening here is in the Old Testament, if you will remember, God saves Israel from Egypt. You remember that? Everybody seen the, the Prince of Egypt movie? And he takes them out and they disobey God. And as, as uh, Moses is, is up in the mountain making these Ten Commandments that God's giving him, they begin to rebel and they start dancing around this golden calf and they're worshiping these false gods. And God says, hey, you're not supposed to be doing that. And then he gives them another chance. And then they see the promised land. They go against God and say, no, we're not going to be able to do that. And so he says, you know what? For that instance, you're just going to wander in the desert for 40 years and until everybody who is up the age 21 and up dies off, then we'll move along. So you've missed your shot. You're going to die. But as they were in the wilderness, God had to give them these dietary laws so that they could be safe. Because some of these foods that they were going to be eating were not going to be good for their digestive system in the wilderness. And this is the whole reason around kosher and non-kosher meats. That God was protecting them in the wilderness. And once that wilderness journey was over, that law could have been done away with. But they didn't see it that way. Peter knew these laws, right? And he knew that from birth he had followed the laws that he was taught to obey. But you see, there was a difference between the people in the day that the law was given and in Peter's day, okay? There was a big difference because this difference is that the Israelite people in Leviticus knew that these laws were put in place for their well-being at that time. But for Peter, it was a matter of seeing things as clean and unclean or holy and unholy. See, it wasn't about dietary for Peter. For Peter, it was a principle. For Peter, it was a moral. This was been taught to me. I'm not going to eat that. It had nothing to do with dietary laws. And Peter is defiant here. It has nothing to do with his stomach, this vision that he's seeing. It has everything to do with his heart. Hear me now. That as Jesus is bringing this sheep down, and as he's showing them these animals and saying, go ahead, eat. He's not dealing with Peter's stomach, but he's dealing with his heart. You see, at that time, Peter was a very stereotypical Jewish person who did not like Gentiles. He hated them, as a matter of fact. 
Peter was prejudiced towards these people. So much so that he refused to share the gospel with Gentile people. Now I want us to wrap our minds around that. That Peter is Jewish and he's giving the gospel and things are happening and the church is growing and, and God is using Peter to heal people. God is using Peter to get the message out and Peter will not, absolutely not, share the gospel with Gentile people. He has a prejudice toward them and he won't do it. Yet God is still continuing to use him. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But look at the way Peter reacts, right? He, uh, he, these men come to his house and they say, hey, this guy Cornelius, this centurion wants to see you, please. And, and Peter says, I guess I'll follow you. I mean, if you assume this is the law. These are, these are legal people coming and saying, this centurion needs you. And so Peter goes and we see his kind of uh, prejudice as he goes into the house. Look at later in the chapter, uh, Acts chapter 10. I put 11, I think, but it's actually chapter 10, verse 25 to 29. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. These would have been Gentile people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without raising an objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Peter isn't too bright all the time. Right? I guess that's why I really relate to Peter. Because I'm not real bright all the time. I'm actually a lot like Peter. I'll fly off the handle every once in a while and not think about what I'm saying. But sometimes he can be a genius, you know. Uh, he said some really good things in the Bible. But he comes to this encounter with these Gentile people, and he's like, from the right off the bat, he says, oh, hold on. You guys are beneath me. I don't need to be in here with you. I don't see you as equal as me. But God said, whatever is, you know, don't call unclean what I call clean. And so here I am. What do you want? That's Peter's attitude. He's saying, like, what do you want? I mean, I was sleeping, napping in Joppa, doing just fine. Here I am. What do you want from me? Remember, it's been seven or so years since Jesus had ascended. And although we had, uh, you know, this encounter with Philip and the Ethiopian, up to this point, the church itself, to the church itself, Gentiles had not been evangelized. Seven years or so, give or take. And Jesus sees the error in Peter's heart and is giving him the opportunity to repent and correct his ways. Peter saw the Jewish people as clean and the Gentile people as unclean. Remember, so much so that he would not share the gospel with them. He refused. Peter viewed the Jewish people as holy and deserving and the Gentile people as undeserving. But look at this statement from Jesus. What God has made clean, do not call impure. What God has made clean, do not call impure. And so the text goes on to say that Cornelius and all those who were in his house got saved and got baptized. 
and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they and they were exposed to the gospel. So why should this matter to us? Why should this matter to us? What can we learn from Peter and Cornelius? What can we learn from a prejudice that goes both sides? That you have these Romans who are there to uh, be a strong arm and to control, and you have these Jewish people here who don't want to be controlled, and they go out of their way to hate these Roman people, and God brings these two unlikely people together for a purpose. Listen, anybody could have been in Caesarea and preached to Cornelius. Later in the text, we see that Paul uh, encounters Philip, the evangelist, the same Philip that we saw in Caesarea. Philip's in Caesarea. God could have used Philip to go and to witness to this centurion. We already saw that Philip doesn't have a problem with Gentiles. But he doesn't do that. He does something else on purpose. He knows Peter absolutely has issues with these Gentiles. And he wants to change Peter's heart because Peter is wrong. Because Peter's wrong, he wants to change his heart. Alright, so we're going to go two points this morning and I'll be done and we'll get out of, get out of here in time for lunch. Number one, we are no better than anyone who is not saved. We are no better than anyone who is not saved. I don't care who they are. Look at Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Proverbs 22.2. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Romans 3.10, as it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. Church, you and I, sitting in this room this morning, it does not make us any more or less deserving of God's grace and forgiveness. Because no one, and the Bible says no one, deserves anything but wrath from a holy God. We deserve wrath from a holy God because of the sin that we have in our lives or had in our lives if we're saved. We deserve wrath. We're not deserving of His grace. We're not deserving of who He is and neither is the unsaved. Peter saw the Jewish people as salvageable. Okay, listen close. He saw them as deserving the gospel because they were clean and holy. Right? But this phrase of Jesus is so beautiful. He says, what God has made clean, don't you call impure. Meaning, there's not a clean and an unclean people pre-salvation because we're all unclean. Because we're all worthless. Because we can't get to heaven on our own. And Peter had this, this visualization that there's a certain group of people who are salvageable. There's a certain group of people who maybe would respond well to the gospel. And he hated the Gentile people so much that he didn't want to give them that opportunity. He didn't want to give them that opportunity. And Jesus is telling Peter here, we're all the same. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're Gentile, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're Asian, whether you live in the trailer park or you live in a mansion, whether you live in Port Natchez or you live in Maryland, whether you live in the United States or you live in Europe, it doesn't matter because we're all the same. We are all the same. And that's what Jesus is showing Peter here. He's bringing down this sheet 
he said, look at all these animals. You see clean ones and you see unclean ones. And you separate the lines. But God says, I see them all as the same. Peter, you are no better than your Gentile brother who needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all the same. And, and even though, even though we would never admit it, we have a prejudice towards people who we deem as unholy or undeserving of God's grace and forgiveness. We do. We look at certain people who don't fit the profile of who we want to see sitting next to us at church and we would rather not share the gospel with them. We see the people who have different thought processes than us and people who have a different background than us and see them as unclean and not salvageable. I really hate the term, and I've heard it before from a lot of people. If you've told me this, I'm sorry for calling you out. I've heard before like, man, that's a good guy right there. If he would just come to church. That's a good dude. If he would just come to church. If he would come to church, what? He would reach the pinnacle of being a good person? What about the person that's not a good dude? What about the person who we hate to see on the side of the street or in the front of the liquor store who doesn't ever, 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 who doesn't ever, or is never worthy of, of some of our time? Or some of our time to, to witness to them and give them the gospel. What about those people? You see, Jesus is showing Peter that he's wrong because Peter is looking at people as different from himself. And church, we've done that. We've done that. I, I hate to say this, but we've done that. We do it to where a lot of black people have a church with black people. And a lot of white people have a church with white people. And I got saved in a church with a lot of Mexican people. And we didn't, we didn't intermingle. And I've heard these sorry excuses like, well, you don't worship the way we do. And we don't do this the way we do. And stop. That's not the point. We're all the same. And Jesus wants to show us that we're not clean and unclean because he has made a way for all of us. You're trying to tell me that this sacrifice that Jesus, somebody without any sin, ever knowing sin, went and took the wrath of God so that we could pick and choose who gets to come? That's not the way it works. And Peter's got this mentality right now. He's thinking that way. And Jesus is trying to show him he was wrong. And that his heart needed to change. An innocent Jesus did not die a sinner's death on a despicable cross for us to have the ability to pick and choose who hears his message. Listen. Listen. The people who look and act different than us are not going to come in here at 10.30 on Sunday morning. Why would they? Sometimes they're scared too. Sometimes they're scared too. Because of the way they'll get looked at. Because of the way no one will talk to them when they're here. People have told me that personally. And we've done a horrible job of seeing people as clean and unclean 
And those who we deem good enough, we might share the gospel with them, maybe. Do we see here how he's telling Peter what God has made clean? What God has made clean, do not call impure. What God has made clean, do not call impure. What God has made clean, do not call impure. Because we're all the same. Every one of us. And Jesus died for all the last time I read. And even though, like I said, we'll never admit it, no way we would ever sit down and say, yeah, I'm not sharing the gospel with that guy. But we do it. And it's wrong. And, and Jesus sees this in Peter. And somebody who's being really used for the gospel. And he says, I need you to do better, Peter. I need you to do better. Look at number two. The gospel message is more important than our feelings. The gospel message is more important than our feelings. Look at Romans 2, 11 through 12. For there is no favoritism with God. For all who sin without the law will also perish without the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Let me clarify this verse to you in 2020. He's saying if you have, if you're a person who was not raised in church, who was not raised in a good home, who was taught no, no moral values whatsoever, you don't know the Sunday school kitty class, and you die without Jesus, you're, you're going to hell. That's where you're going. And he says, if you've been to the Sunday school kitty class, and you were raised in church all your life, and you don't surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. Because God shows no favoritism towards man. God doesn't care that you look a certain way. God doesn't care that you've been coming to fellowship all your life. Because if you have not surrendered to him your whole entire heart, then you are just as bad off as somebody who never stepped foot in this place. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying here. Look at Colossians 1, 16. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Church, who are we to tell God that some of his own creation that he created to glorify himself is not worthy of the gospel message? Who is Peter for doing that? God created everything for his own glory, Jews and Gentiles. People who live on this side of the track, people who live on that side of the track, God wants to use them for His glory. And who are we to say they should not get the gospel message? <clears throat> Can I be just very transparent with you this morning? God does not care about who you dislike. God does not care about who you dislike. God does not care about who you have bad feelings towards. God doesn't care that you're a Democrat and you don't like Republicans. God doesn't care that you're a Republican and you hate Democrats. Can I say that again? God don't care who you don't like. Because it's not up to you. It's up to Him. And what we've done is, is we've, we've built up these walls. And we've created these barriers between us and them. 
between these good people who we think are good enough, who maybe belong to the Republican Party, or maybe belong to the Democratic Party, or, or maybe that they were born in this, in this country, or maybe that they were born in that country. I mean, God doesn't see borders. God doesn't see any divisions between us because we're all the same. But we've done that. We've done that over and over and over again into where we teach our little kids. Okay, guys, you know, you're going to be this and you're going to be that when you grow up. And you're going to vote this way and you're going to vote that way. And you don't go over there on that side of town at this time of hour. And if we're all the same, why do we do that? It's because inside of our heads we've decided that some people are clean and some people are unclean. And we don't want to get dirty from the unclean people because we're always the clean ones. And that scenario will always be the clean ones. We'll never be the unclean ones. And, and God doesn't care about that. God doesn't care how you feel about the next presidential candidate. God could care less how you feel about somebody else who has a skin color different than yours or, or is a skin color the same as yours but is trash. He didn't care that you feel that way because he is a God of all. And He wants us to see people the way He sees people. If we're living up, if we're living our life building up walls between us and them, no matter which side you're on or which scenario you make it, we've lost the focus. This morning, if you've built up walls and it's us and them, you've lost the focus. Why? Because what God has made clean did not call impure. What God has made clean, do not call impure. I said a couple of weeks ago that the gospel message is the most important message in all of history. Would you agree with me on that? The gospel message is the most, is the most important message in all history. And I think we can lose sight of that uh, because we place these barriers between us and those who are lost. Because we see them as unclean, we forget that the gospel message is so important. Look at everything going on in America today. Both sides have taken a stance between us and them, and unfortunately, the people of God have gotten swept up in all the things. Would you agree with me on that? Oh, both sides are, are an uproar. And for some reason, it's infiltrated the church to where we feel we have to be an uproar too on one side or the other. Hear me when I say this, and please listen with ears of the gospel and not of culture and not of how you feel. Please do that for one second. Let's take the blinders off and listen to me. God is concerned about people and is not concerned about a nation. God is concerned about people and he's not concerned about a certain nation. This nation, just like all the others, will turn against Israel in the book of Revelation. We can go through it and read it if you want to. You will not find the United States of America in there. You won't find Canada in there. You won't find Mexico in there. I don't care how much you love, they're not in there. It says for every nation will turn against Israel at the last days, and that includes us. And we've somehow lost focus. We've somehow lost focus. We're on this mission that God wants to turn this nation into some kind of Christian utopia. 
But that's not the point. That's not the mission. God's mission is not to turn the United States of America into a Christian utopian where we can all live comfortably and nobody who is unclean comes on our radar. That's not God's mission. It didn't work in Rome and it's not going to work here. If you know your history well, they made Christianity the national religion and it failed. It was corrupt like that. Because they lost the mission. Because God is a God who loves people and wants them to be his own. And think about it for one second here. Just hear me, okay? Look at all the political climate going on during Peter's time and Cornelius' time. There's these Jews and they're hating the Gentiles. And there's these Gentile Roman people and they hate the Jews. So much so that all this war breaks out and millions of people die. Uh, they're killing each other left and right. And there's all this outcry that these Romans are killing the Jews and nobody cares. And there's all this outcry that the Jews are rising up and nobody cares. And when we read our Bible, we don't read about none. Why? Because that's not the mission. God did not send us here to make this world a better place. I'm sorry. He didn't. God did not send us here to fix our society so it can look like us. God sent us out to people to take the gospel and to make disciples. If we've lost this focus that we just want to love everybody and let everybody live their lives as long as there's no prejudice, as long as there's no racism, as long as whatever you want to call it, and we're not giving the gospel, and we're not sharing Jesus, then who cares? If you're not giving the gospel to your neighbor, what do you care about the neighborhood? And Peter's wrong, and we're wrong. And we've taken this stance on either side. I don't care which side you're on, get on it, and it's the wrong side. Because our job is to love God, to love others, and make disciples. Not to love God and love others and then let the chips fall where they may. It's been given us a clear command to make disciples. And that's you and me going to people who look different than us and who act different than us and not, and not pulling up these barriers and saying they're unclean and I'm clean because we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We don't want to live in the neighborhood that these people live in. We don't want to live on the side of town. I could, I could say to them, boom in the face. We do it all the time. And God just wants us to see everybody the way he sees them. That they can be reached for the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That it don't matter if you're a murderer or a terrorist like Saul of Tarsus. That Jesus wants to choose you and use you. It doesn't matter if you're this Ethiopian eunuch. Jesus wants to choose you and use you. And I feel like we've gotten caught up in all these barriers and we've gotten caught up in choosing all these sides and blaming other sides and we've lost the focus. And we're not giving the gospel and we're not telling people that they need to be saved through Jesus Christ by faith and that's the only way to do it. We're jumping on bandwagons that don't even matter. And we're using all of our time and effort to do Listen, Peter didn't get it right all the time. We see later, Paul is writing about Peter and he had to get on to him. Even after this moment, 
Peter was over there. He's hanging out with the Gentiles. Oh, I get it. God, no one claimed, blah, blah, blah. And then Jewish people would come and he'd like shun the Gentiles. He'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't eat with them. I've never eaten with them. And he would lie. And Paul called him out on it. So listen, church, we all got work to do. We all have work to do that God this morning, through his message, through his word, is bringing down this sheep before us. And he's saying, kill and eat. God is bringing down this sheep right now. And it has people from this side of the track, from that side of the track, white, black, Mexican, Puerto Rican, Asian, European. He's got them all on there. He's showing us, hey, here's the mission. And he's saying, don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that because what I have made clean, you cannot call impure. And the gospel message of Jesus Christ is the cleanest thing we can take. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is the most unbiased and the most beautiful message that we can take out to people who are hurting and who are dying and who have drawn up these borders about us too. And so as we're reading this this morning and, and, and as we're sharing and we're seeing Peter get his eyes opened about sharing the gospel with people who he literally hates. It should be a message to us that we are not to be like Peter was and to have these prejudice towards people no matter what the circumstance. But that God wants to choose us and use us for His glory and not that of our own. But if we're ever going to get it right, then we need to be about mission. And that message is loving God, loving others, and making disciples. No matter who they are. Every head bowed, every eye closed. <clears throat> I told you before I started that I wrestled with this entire message this whole week. Because I want to admit to you right now that I don't get caught up in all the culture. I don't get caught up in what the current trend is. I don't get caught up in what people think that I should say or what people think that I should do or whatever people, the response people feel like I should make to whatever's going on. But that we have to be clear and concise and read the Bible for what it is. And this morning, you may have a disdain in your heart for somebody. You may have a prejudice against another kind or against another people. Regardless of what it is, this morning is the time to wipe that out. Because God is giving you an opportunity to see the sin for what it is. That it should not be there. And that we cannot be effective if we continue to keep those blinders on our eyes. Here in a minute we're going to pray. And the band is going to sing. And these altars are going to be open. And some of us need to change our hearts. Some of us need to come to God and ask for forgiveness. And we need to place ourselves on our knees and bow before Him because we've been wrong. Father, we come before you this morning, God. And we thank you that you didn't see partiality when you chose us. That when you pulled us out of that miry clay, God, that when you saved us, you did not see partiality, God. And it didn't matter to you, to you who we were before we did. And Father, I pray this morning that we would have the eyes that you have for other people, God. That we would love you first off, that we would love people, and that we would care enough to make them our disciples. 
Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for listening today. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.